friends, Greg Kokel here on Stand to Reason. Thank you for joining us on the show. And I have been remiss by not giving the call-in number. And so I shall do that. Uh, 855-243-9975. That's the uh, regular call-in line while I'm live on the show, like I am at the moment. But I'm not live on the show, probably for you as you're listening. Because I'm here on Tuesdays from 4 until 6, and this one you won't even get until Friday. So, uh, But call in on Tuesdays, 4 to 6 Pacific Time, 855-243-9975. If you're outside of the U.S., um, dial up 562-424-8229. We usually try to put you to, to the head of the line, since most calls from outside of the U- U.S., you're you're calling in the middle of the night or early morning or something like that, but glad to hear from you as well. Um, Let's see. Just to bring you up to date, coming up uh, in a week, one week from when you're getting this, uh, our Washington reality. Uh, We are actually sold out on that, but we are continuing to sell tickets for the overflow. So we have, we're 92 over our capacity for the main auditorium, which is 1100. We got 1192 right now, and we're still selling for the overflow. But I don't think that's unlimited. So if you have not signed up for reality uh, in, in, in Washington, and you're within striking distance and want to go, uh, the Seattle area, it's actually in, uh, um, what's the name of that? It's just, um, well, we call it Washington. Make that Seattle, but it's in a town just a little to the east of Seattle. I can never remember the name of it. Bellingham? Is it Bellingham or no, not Bellingham? Oh, anyway, don't listen to me. Just go to uh, uh, realityapologetics.com and uh, you'll get all the details there. There's two cities that sound very much alike, and Bellingham is not the one. Amy's telling me. Bellevue. Bellevue. Okay. Isn't Bellevue like. An insane asylum or something like that, or used to be, but that's what I think. Anyway, I can't remember Bellevue. There it is. And uh, that's going to be next weekend, um, October 14 and 15. Um, we've had a fabulous, unbelievable event in Orange County, and it's just going to get better because everybody's kind of getting in the groove. But it still was, everybody acknowledged today when we did our review, this is the best one we have ever had. It's our 10th anniversary edition, so to speak. And, uh, uh, in Minneapolis, November 11th through 12th, we already got uh, 2157. So we're, we've already broken 2,000, 2,100. And uh, we'll probably have close to 3,500 when the dust settles for us in November. So uh, just go to realityapologetics.org. I'll make that .com, and uh, all the information is there for you. Uh, by the way, next Wednesday, John Noyce is going to be on To The Point Live. That's October 12th. It's going to be 12 p.m. Pacific time. He'll be live on at noon then on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. And uh, I'm not sure what his topic is there. It's not here, but um, John's developing a following, and I'd like you to tune in for that. Uh, also, in a couple of days... Hmm. Actually, you're getting this on Friday, so Saturday, tomorrow. For those of you in the D.C. area, I'll be at Burke Community Church in Burke, B-U-R-K-E, Virginia. Um, it says Friday, October 7 through Saturday, October 8th. I think I'm even doing the Sunday service. I'm not sure, but it's this weekend. So you can find uh, my schedule uh, at str.org and... Um, 
when you look under speakers, all the details are there. But uh, so that's coming up. Got a lot of things I'm going to be doing this week, uh, this month. So I'll try to keep you posted as we move forward. All right, let's go to some uh, our some of our open mic calls. And if you recall, if you go to our homepage and under podcast, you can see a feature called live podcast. You can just go ahead and leave a question there using the speaker in the the microphone feature on your own computer, and you click the button and leave your question and try to keep it brief, and uh, and then it'll get in the queue and. Um, Amy will, I almost called you Melinda. Can you believe that? I almost said Mindy. It's been five years. Um, anyway, but obviously Melinda's been with us, was with us for 20, almost 25 years. So that's an understandable mistake. But uh, Amy will uh, take that and put you in the queue and the list and we'll hopefully get to you eventually as we do some of these open mic calls. You can also dial up for open mic calls, and the number there is 857-DIAL-STR, 857-DIAL-STR, or 857-342-5787. I'm curious, Amy, when they dial that, do they get like a little instruction thing and then a beep, and then they can start talking? They do. Okay, great. Uh, so it's going to be very easy to do. So let's talk, uh, let's hear from Rich Wilson, okay? Rich Wilson, go ahead. Yes, hello. This is Rich Wilson calling from Newfields, New Hampshire. I've been saved Christian for over 25 years, and I'm calling for the Stand to Reason uh, open mic show, uh, Greg Kogel, apologist. I hope I have the right phone number. Yeah, that would this be the me. number I got off of the <laughs> YouTube broadcast he had recently. I do have a question, and I'm so grateful uh, to you, Greg, for all the work you've done for so many years. Hmm really reached my heart and my life, mm. especially through the uh, Christ Revealed series, mm. uh, which A. Warner Wallace and many other great folks, uh, that series that was released, beautiful, beautiful set. Mm. Your powerful voice in the world, reaching so many with a clarity uh, and the sword of the gospel of truth of Jesus Christ, it means so much to so many of us. Mm. So thank you so much. Thank Keep doing much. the great work. We support you, brother. Mm. Mm. Here's good. my question. And this is pertaining to any male or female, young man, young woman, or anyone of any age, Christian, yeah, like myself, who's single, even as an older man, never been married, any of us who haven't been married, or maybe even who have, who live the Christian life, new or old, how do we close the integrity gap, the gap between who we were, who we died in sin, you know, our old fallen life, to the new creation in Christ. I know it's a finished work. It's completed by Christ on the cross in the atonement, yes. However, in our life, we have to walk it out and work out our salvation and show forth uh, the truth of his atonement in how we live, what we say and what we do. So how do we finally close that gap and keep it closed so that we're not duplicitous, we're not divided in our condition between what we think say, do, and believe in our heart, that it's all consistent, you know, the 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 definition of integrity, consistent all the way through. Mm-hmm. It's hard to live, yes? Mm-hmm. It's an ideal. But how do we do it, Greg? Mm. How do we close that gap and live with that integrity as God, through his son Jesus Christ, would have us live and be as his example mm. of faith, love, charity, hope, and peace? Mm. Thank you so much, brother. 
Well, yes, Rich, thank you. And there were very kind words there uh, at the front end. It was really sweet of you, and we're glad to be a, of help to you. Um, uh, this is a this question goes to the heart of Christian uh, sanctification. This is what you're talking about. <clears throat> and there is a place where we used to be, and there's a place where we want to go, and these are at, at two different extremes. Uh, where we used to be was pretty nasty, and we got rescued from that, and that put us on kind of a new road, uh, 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 as w- what Paul describes in Romans eight as a as a um, as according to the spirit versus according to the flesh. Now I describe that as a, a kind of trajectory. All right, to live according to the spirit means that you possess the spirit, and you are you are developing spiritual and moral virtues, and <clears throat> by contrast, are, in Paul's language there in that chapter, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Now, this is what Paul means when he uses the phrase, led by the Spirit. Almost nobody uses that phrase the way Paul used it, but he only used it twice, one Romans 8, one Galatians 5, and he meant the same thing in both places. It's obvious when you read the context that you are in the Spirit's power in the process of moving away from the old life and moving progressively more towards what God desires of us, okay? Yes, as you pointed out, Rich, we understand that in God's courtroom, as it were, the work of Christ is finished. He did the job that was necessary to fully and completely rescue us before the Father. That is what the text means when it talks about uh, propitiation. That is, God's wrath against sinners is satisfied. That has been done. That issue has been resolved. That has been finished. But we haven't been finished. We just start the work when we begin regeneration, and then it continues. The very first time I ever taught the Bible, a strange set of circumstances I don't have time to get into now, but my text was Philippians 1 6, I believe it was, he who began a good work in you, regeneration, will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That means we're in the middle. We are in between. And actually, in the story of reality, I have a small chapter with that title, in between. We are in between the initiation and the final um resolution of this process. And the final resolution of the process is called the resurrection. And um, not until the resurrection will the will the the work be finished in an experiential sense. In God's courtroom it's done, but in our day-to-day walk it is not done yet. And this is why we talk of our day-to-day walk. And I and I'll I'll just I'll characterize this for you, Rich, and the rest of you, the way that I see it and understand it, and that is very simple. This is a fight. This is a battle. We're in a scrap, and we are in a fight and a battle and a scrap with the world and the flesh and the devil. We got the devil out there that makes things hard for us. 
we got the world that's enticing us, and we've got ourselves that we must master. And we have the Holy Spirit that is there to help us to do that, and the Word of God and other Christians that surround us and encourage us and move us in, a, in, a, in the right direction and chastise us when necessary. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, it says in Proverbs. And these are the means by which, and there are more of them, but these are like the means by which we move forward in the Christian life in this pilgrimage, how we progress, pilgrims progress, until we reach our destination. But that will not happen until either our death or the resurrection, whichever comes first. And it's for most of us, it's going to be the death that for us is the second coming of Christ. That's what we will go to see him. He's not coming with us. We'll return with him, but that fight will be over when we die or when we are raised if Christ comes before we die. Uh, what's interesting about the resurrection is that resurrection generally means coming back to life again, and in the process of doing that, the resurrection, what's being raised is the new body, is the old body into something new. So a resurrection necessarily entails a body, but there is an odd set of circumstances when Jesus returned, and there are living people. Well, they get raised without having died. And that's where the immortal puts on immortality and the perishable puts on imperishable. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Many people refer to that as the rapture, and there's a lot of discussion about the timing of it. I think that creates confusion. The Bible calls it the resurrection, says it happens at the second coming. And that's in 1 5, make that 1 4, and 1 Corinthians 15. So I just go with that. At the resurrection, we will be changed all of us, and then the fight will be over. And until then, we scrap, we fight. And that's just the way it's been for me. And, I, and for many Christians, when you choose to walk with Christ in the world, when you choose to be, to be moving forward between those two poles that, Rich, you described, our unregenerate state, and, uh, uh, and where we should be as new creations in Christ, that gap that you've described, I guess, as the integrity gap. How do we be fully consistent? It's not going to happen. We're never going to be fully consistent because we still have the flesh to deal with. I don't think moral perfection is something available to us in this, in, in this life. You know, think about John when he, he writes in, in 1 John chapter 2. He says, "'My little children, I write to you that you not sin.'" So he's writing to encourage us to live a holy life. But then he says, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation, there's that word again, for our sin. He's the satisfaction before the Father. He's our legal agent. He's our representative. He's, he's our rescuer, okay? But <clears throat> we, are, we are to pursue... Um, John's exhortation, and seek not to sin. But there are going to be occasions of sin, and we have an advocate to cover that. That isn't to justify our sin, but it is to justify us in our sin. Okay? Um, and I, I, there are some people have a little different theology. They think that we can reach kind of moral perfection in this life. I think the only way you could do that is by redefining sin or redefining moral perfection. 
but uh, it's just it's just not going to happen in this life. We're going to get a lot better. But you know, I just had my spiritual birthday last week. Uh, Forty nine years in Christ. Um, I used to think when I was a new Christian, and I looked at my spiritual mentors who weren't forty nine years in Christ. They were like eight, nine years, or ten years, or maybe fifteen, or maybe on the outside twenty years in Christ. And I used to think, oh man, I can't wait till I get to where they're at as noble Christians who never sin. I can think of one individual I used to think that about, and it's such a laugh now when I, because this, you know, he's a human being, for goodness sake. And of course, I know about his feet made of clay now, years later, but, but I just had this crazy sense. And, um, and since I realized that this is not only an unrealistic expectation for ourselves, but it's also unrealistic expectation that for us to have of others, I am constantly trying to encourage people not to think of any of your spiritual leaders that way, certainly not me, because I've got massive feet of clay. And, uh, you know, people who I know who know me know that, and my family first and foremost, because they know me best. And so I'm not going to put on any airs because I don't want to have to carry that burden. And uh, I know that I'm in a struggle with everybody else, and we're moving forward by the grace of God because we keep fighting every single day to try to live a godly life. And there's no way out of that. I used to have a theology as part of what's called the Deeper Life Movement, uh, Keswick Revival in the late 19th century in Keswick, England, and the Lake Country. And the idea there was that you could kind of pass through, have a certain second experience that that would, would take you from striving to perfect rest as you live the exchanged life, and Christ lived his life through you. Now, I believe that Jesus lives his life through me, but I don't think that means that just, I just am put at perfect rest, and I'm not striving, I'm not struggling, I'm not fighting, because the Bible is filled with all kinds of exhortations to strive and to struggle and to fight. That's part of our task, our partnership with the Holy Spirit, Jesus living in us. That brings us to uh, increasing sanctification. And it won't be until we're dead that the fight will be over. Because the flesh, we survive the death of our physical bodies, but the flesh does not. The flesh is somehow tied to our physical bodies, okay? And as we are regenerate in Christ, we have a new spirit Something has changed radically on the inside, and that moves forward, but we're fighting this old enemy, the flesh, all the time. And that's my theology. I think that's, I think that's sound biblical sanctification. Uh, do we want to decrease the integrity gap? Sure, that's what we're trying to do. But there's always going to be a gap. And I think we can live with a significant measure of integrity where our life reflects our beliefs, but we're never going to get it all right this life. Uh, I remember Francis Schaeffer had a great influence on me when I was a young Christian. I actually uh, uh, visited Liberty a, a few times when I was doing work in that part of Europe in 1976. But Schaeffer said that all utopian ideals turn out to be cruel in the end because they can never be fulfilled. 
and the expectation that we will someday in this life finish the struggle, we will be all done with the, uh, with the, with the fight, because we've kind of reached this point of, of, of spiritual utopia, if you will, perfection, it's not going to happen. It's only going to happen when we cast off this, this tent, uh, we shuffle off this mortal coil, as Shakespeare put it, and, 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 and we, are, we, we move into the next life, awaiting the resurrection that will complete us and take our non-physical selves and unite us, reunite us with the body that now has been radically transformed. Um, that's the only time it's going to happen. I hope this answers your question, Rich. Um, I appreciate it's a tough issue, but unless we are committed to staying in the fight, fighting against the flesh, um, we're not going to be successful. If you realize that every single day you have to fight, you have to work trusting in God to help you, to be virtuous. Uh, unless you realize that, you're going to get discouraged. Man, I still, I'm still trying, and I'm not there. Yes, you're not going to get there. But that doesn't mean your efforts are for naught. Paul said that physical exercise profits little, but godliness is a means of great gain, for it holds a promise not only for this life, but also for the life to come. So as you're working, fighting the flesh, seeking to be virtuous, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit in the sense that Paul intended it to be understood, um, you, you are benefiting in this life, but you're also storing up something for the future, where neither moth nor rust destroy nor thieves can break in and, and uh, steal. So there you go. Thank you for your question, Rich. Uh, let's go to break, and uh, we've got more calls coming up here, and we'll take those then. Greg Kokel here on Stand to Reason. Friends, if you like this broadcast, I know you'll love Hashtag STRask. It's our shorter 20-minute podcast where I am paired with the wonderful Amy Hall, and together we answer the questions you send us on Twitter. Hashtag STRask is released twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and it's only about 20 minutes long, so it's perfect to listen to on your morning jog or while driving around running errands or cleaning your garage or just plain loafing at home. Amy and I tackle your questions on theology and ethics and culture and lots more, offering our insight on the questions you're asking or the challenges you face. You can listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your own shows. Just remember, send us your questions on Twitter using the name of the podcast, hashtag STRask. That's hashtag STRask. Have you ever wondered how Stand to Reason is able to produce fresh, accessible content each week? We rely on generous donors so that we can provide you with the tools and tactics you need to be an effective ambassador for Christ. If you've benefited from this podcast or any of our donor-provided resources, including our apps, blog posts, articles, and short videos, consider making a financial contribution to Stand to Reason today. Just visit str.org slash donate to show your financial support. It has been an honor providing you with a host of free resources for more than 27 years to help you give voice to the Christian worldview. Help us continue by making a financial gift today at str.org slash donate. 
right back at you here. Greg Kokel giving you a piece of my mind today, as I do every Tuesday from 4 until 6 p.m. Los Angeles time. The number is 855-243-9975 if you want to chat with me. You've got to go through Amy first, but she's really nice, and uh, she'll put you in the queue, uh, as she is doing with two callers, and one of them's ready, and this is Leland in Goodyear, Arizona. Is that right outside of Phoenix? It is. It's on the uh, southwest side of Phoenix. Yes, so that's. I think. In, the, I think Goodyear is where Robbie Lashua, or rather Lashua. Yes. Sorry, Robbie Lashua lives yes. right there by Goodyear, doesn't he? And I, yeah, and I was going to try. He's the one that's setting up the uh, outposts. Outposts, and I was going to get together with him, but some things came up in my life, and I was ah, uh-huh. out of state for a short time, and I was sick, and. Uh, uh, some other things. I, I also sure, got yeah. in life, the, uh, life gets in the way. Campaign out here, uh, but I do need to get back to them. I don't know if uh, Outpost is really my church is really the kind of church uh, that Outpost is looking for. We we literally meet in our our, our pastor's uh, living room. Sure, okay, um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. But I, I should definitely what? get hold of. Talk to him about it. But, sure. Well, you can talk to him about that. What's on your mind now, though? You have uh, some information well, about uh, Johns Hopkins. Yeah, uh, you said that uh, John Hopkins University, the people that pioneered, uh, I believe, gender reassignment surgery, quit right. doing them. Yeah. And I had heard that, and I, I looked it up on the internet. And I, I guess that was in 2015. But I had also heard, almost right away, that they'd gotten so much pushback that they had decided to start again. Oh. I think that was in 2016. And is that old information? Uh, did they stop again? I, I went to their website. And I couldn't find anything explicit, but they, they described all the various right. surgeries you get in, in, in a positive light. They have a, LG, a manager or a director of LGBTQ and uh, equity I, I, inclusion. Uh, right, right, right. It's all that so. nonsense. I, 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 when I walked out during the break, and you had already talked to Amy as getting set up at the queue here for me, uh, Amy looked up the article, and yes, indeed, it does say that Johns Hopkins has uh, has uh, you know reviewed their policy, changed it, and and now doing uh, transgender uh, surgeries again. So that means yeah. I'm so glad I found this out. Thank you for calling because I have a footnote in the manuscript I was just about to send in that now has to be changed. Now uh, the oh, yeah. the doctor that pioneered <clears throat> the surgery. I want to find out who that guy is. I have to do some research, but uh, because what I remember um, as, uh, as when this issue came up first, that the doctor said, "I'm not doing these things anymore because I'm just destroying perfectly healthy bodies." So he backed yeah. off. He's associated with Johns Hopkins, and so the whole policy changed. Now, if Johns Hopkins has re ha- has renewed the practice, you know, I can't say Johns Hopkins never does it anymore. I got to take that out. But I want to find out whether the doctor. Who who uh, originally said I'm not going to do this? If he's still holding his ground, because I can use that in the footnote. Otherwise, I just got to take the whole thing out. But it's I, I can't remember whether he was just uh, whether he stayed there or whether he was just kind of quietly. I don't know, but, or something. I don't know. Well, I but it, I, I thought it is you know really illustrates you know you, you were talking about what a uh, what a fight, what a scrap, you know, what a battle we are in. Uh, you know, for, you know, ourselves and, and, and our society and 
uh, it just illustrates that the, the, the people who pioneered these surgeries and realized how wrong they were yeah. can't even quit. Yeah, they give in to public pressure, and uh, it's just, you know, I don't understand. Here's a curious thing. LGBT, okay, no, it would be LG, it used to be LGB, uh, yeah. lesbian, uh, gay, and and bisexual, okay. How does transgender fit into that? I mean, they they made common cause, but gender and sex are two entirely different things. The first have to do with some someone's sexual practice. The others have to do with somebody's gender identity. For some reason, they coupled together, all right? So um, maybe they thought, well, these things are kin enough that we can make common cause for our purposes here. Um, or maybe a lot of a lot of gays were transgendered or or pursued that in cross-dressing. I don't know. I, I, well, I really don't know the history of all a, that. But There is a rift at this time in that community, basically a, a movement uh, to uh, remove the T. Huh. And just say, uh, go back to what they were doing. Remember during the Prop 8 campaign, uh, they were just trying to, you know, Tell the trans people to just be cool. You know, people aren't ready for this. We'll yeah. be clapper. Well, I um, mean, you know, of course, 48 hours after Obergefell, they were saying, okay, now we've got to do something for the trans community. But now they started to realize, you know, like, you know, you say you're gay, you're only attracted to men, but there are no really, you know, there's not really men per se. You know, uh, this is a good point. And I don't, if, if we accept the gender, the, the the current gender narrative, then there are no such things as men and women. There are just self-perceptions of maleness, which is not tied to bodies, or femaleness, exactly. which is not tied to bodies, or physical apparatus, or anything like that. Plumbing doesn't matter. But if that's the case, what does it mean to be gay? Well, what does it mean to be a the, lesbian uh, on that? Oh, lesbians, yeah. Have you either heard of case. the turfs? Pardon, pardon me? Have you, heard, have you heard of the turfs? How do you spell the, that? T-E-R-F. No, I haven't heard of that. Trans, or I think it stands for transphobic, or trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And they're, Gosh. they're the ones that, that anyone, any, any uh, lesbian that says, no, I don't want to date a, uh, a uh, transgender woman, oh. which is actually a man, uh-huh. so they dismiss them as trans-exclusionary or transphobic, oh, and gosh. and that's part of the, you know, th- that's part of this whole battle right. that's going on in that community. Uh, and, and the inside, well, I mentioned earlier that it's hard to talk about these things because these people don't speak English anymore. You know, no. they, they have their all their own vocabulary that doesn't actually make sense. So, and how can you have, uh, it's just, you know, the Title Nine. Um, the, this whole thing about the reason that Title IX was so important is it is, is it made a safe place for female athletes to compete with each other without having to compete compete against males. And here I'm talking about the kinds of physical bodies they have. And now, of course, that's all been gone away. And part of the Title IX is that it's it's uh it's they're happy with the transgender stuff. Look at now, look at how progressive we are. Now Title IX has morphed into this other thing, but what it's done is undermined its raison d'etre from the beginning. That is its reason for existence. Now it no longer protects females 
from having to compete with males. And by the way, the difficulty here, of course, is that now I'm using words that are contested as to their meanings. And so what's going to have to happen, and I'm apologizing for sounding crude right now, but what's going to, the only way to communicate clearly now is not talking about males and females or men and women, but by talking about body parts, penises and vaginas. That's the only way to communicate in an unambiguous way anymore. Um, but who knows, you know, this is, this is a little bit of a parody, right, that I'm doing right now, and who knows, maybe, maybe what's going to happen is a vagina is going to be called a penis, or a penis is going to be called a vagina. I, I mean, we're laughing, right, but, but the parody becomes reality. So who, who knows? Oh, and like I said, there's going to be, these are people who don't speak English anymore. And so um, what we'll see, it just gets more and more bizarre. Now, Amy said something interesting earlier, and she said, I don't see how this can keep going on. And the reason is, is it's too bizarre. It can't be lived out. And, of course, now they're getting lawsuits. Uh, the, those that are, are there's a term for them, that have the operation, transgender operation, and then they want to go back. D, D, Amy's, what is it, Amy? Yes, detransitioners, okay. Yep. Now, the detransitioners are mad because they feel they have been ill-abused by the medical authorities and public authorities, whatever. And there was a famous case just recently judged in on behalf of the deconditioner in the U.K. And uh, they hammered the whoever the defendant was in this, a doctor's hospital, whatever, because they, 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 they acted inappropriately. If this trend continues... I I think it was toward a child too when they did the uh, or, or, or a minor, which is yeah. I don't. What we I, don't I, now. I can't remember the details, but but it's uh, they, were, they were minors when they got the surgery, and then when they grew up, they said, "Wait a minute." Well, yeah. See, this is the problem, and I was mentioning earlier. This can't be reversed. What can be reversed is somebody's mental image of themselves. What can't be reversed is a mutilated body, and uh, and so this is where the complaint is coming. And it might be that just the 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 weight of the lawsuits coming down are going to be enough to change the uh, the the uh, the trend on this. But this is it is so obviously a um, a social contagion. In other words, it's so obviously a fad that that even uh, what's his name, Bill Maher. Bill Maher, politically correct guy, you know, Bill Maher, the atheist comedian, is raising questions about this. And he's actually done enough, a, a number of screeds, three or four of them, I've seen them, 8 to 10, 15 minutes long. They're funny, but they're also jolting because he's speaking with common sense about these things. And one of his points recently, right after the, the summer, what, June, you know, gala of, of everybody celebrating you know, LGBT month or whatever, uh, gay pride. Um, he said, what's, what's with this? How is it that everybody now is transgender or bisexual? Where did all these people come from? Where have they been hiding for all these centuries? If this is yeah. all natural, he's, he said, so obviously a fad and it is a fad. I remember reading a piece, a criticism of, uh, of, uh, the gal who wrote, um, irreversible damage, um, yeah, Abigail oh, yeah. Schreier, and uh, yeah. and and the criticism was, there's no such thing as as a uh, uh, the the um, so- social goodness. 
what's wrong with my mind right now? Uh, social, social, uh, what did I call it, Amy? The, I'm going to write down social contagion. Okay. So I'm going to write it down because my mind is going nutty right now. But there's no such thing. Are, there's no scientific are, evidence that this is a social contagion. It's a social it contagion. It's not a scientific concept. It's a sociological concept. You know, anyway. Okay. Yeah. It's a fad. Fads aren't science. Fads are society. But it is a fad. It's so obvious that this is a fad. Anybody with a fair mind can see this. And this is why even a guy like Bill Maher can, can, uh, can, can comment on it the way he has and just calling it what it is. This is crazy. This is crazy. Could I I comment real quick before I go that, I mean, you started the show off, I believe talking about uh, what they're doing in your school. Yeah. uh, In terms of grooming kids, bring them into, you know, like convince them that that they might be a boy, a little girl, even if they're got male parts or whatever. And if we're ever going to get back to sanity, we got to stop that. And I, I was wondering, had you already commented on or aware of the, the, the bill? I think that uh, Gavin Newsom just signed a, a few days ago. It basically authorizes California, the uh, so-called uh, Child Protective Services, to not only take custody of uh, kids, you know, that say they're trans, from their parents if their parents won't go along with it, which they have done. It now authorizes them to reach out to other states and take, you know, uh, custody of of, of other, you know, kids from parents in other states. Well, I don't know how this is even possible uh, that the state of California can exercise its authority in in another state. There's state sovereignty, you know. if they get the kid by any means to California, then they've, they basically got it. Oh, I think. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, this, this, thank you for mentioning that. And it just shows how far everything's come. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's so, it, like I said, it's hard, hard to parody this because it becomes reality. So, uh, I got some other calls to get to here, Leland. Okay. But, uh, I appreciate That's your great. call and alerting us to this. And it saves me a, you know, um, a, a problem with my footnotes. So, uh, uh <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. I appreciate that. Did you have something you want to mention to me, Amy? Oh, okay. The, uh, what, what Amy just told me is that the doctor who pioneered the surgery had been associated with Johns Hopkins and I th- who decided not to do them anymore. And that influenced the earlier policy at Johns Hopkins, even though Johns Hopkins now is doing that again, he is still against those surgeries. So I'm going to modify my, my footnote maybe, or I, I might, I don't know. It's just like you, you, you want your, whatever you write to be current for a long time and people start changing their minds on these things. And you have these statements in the book and, and uh, now they don't turn out to be accurate. Sometimes it's better just to not even include it. So I'll see what I'm going to do. Well, any event, we're going to go to break and then we'll come back to more callers um, after that. Greg Kokel here. Stay with us. Hey friends, would you like to be encouraged throughout your week with timely, relevant content meant to bolster your knowledge, wisdom, and character? Or maybe you have a desire to be connected with other like-minded Christians from around the world. If so, then you need to follow Stand to Reason on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Not only will you be able to interact with other Stand to Reason followers, but you'll also stay up to date and informed on our latest resources and events. In our current culture, it's important to have something of value to break up your social media feed. 
So just visit str.org and find the links to all of our social media platforms at the bottom of the homepage. Would you like a Stand to Reason speaker to speak at your church or event? Greg, Alan, Tim, and our newest apologist, John Noyes, are available, both in person and online. Just email booking at str.org to schedule them today. Our speakers can address a wide array of topics, from bioethics, gender issues and science, to theology, philosophy, and how to respond to other worldviews, all from a biblical perspective. Whether it's a Sunday sermon, Zoom conference, or YouTube live event, our skilled and engaging speakers can be there, either physically or virtually, with the goal of equipping Christians to effectively influence the culture for Christ. To read their bios and learn more about the topics they cover, visit str.org. Then email booking at str.org to schedule Greg, Alan, Tim, or John today. Okay, we got a caller from Louisiana. His name is Joshua. Let's go right to him. Joshua, welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. Sure. What's on your mind? I'm a, I'm a big fan. I don't know. I lived overseas in, in Bethlehem for a while. Alan actually came and spoke at our school um, twice while I was the principal there. So um, just a big fan of, of STR and, you know, read your books and everything. Um, I have a question. You know, since coming home, we had a, we had a great church community when we came back. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, transitioned right back into ministry here, serving in the the tech area of the church. And then recently things kind of, the wheels kind of fell off of the church. It was a church plant, one of the church guys, and it was, I don't mean to say ugly, but it just kind of fell off the the wheels a little bit. And um, ever since, my wife and I have just been kind of struggling to to figure out what we're supposed to do. We've looked at other churches. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I listened to STR ask, and I think you guys did a podcast the other day about what to look for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I kind of used that checklist, um, to check a couple of them off. But anyways, my question is, um, you know, I've been praying pretty fervently about what we're supposed to do. And the intimacy that we had overseas obviously was a small group of people that met in a house and mm-hmm. we had, you know, church and, I know there's a home church movement, and I'm not sure if that's exactly the route I want to take, but I have been seeking wisdom from God and obviously mm-hmm. now from you guys on, you know, just some just some next steps if you think that's okay. If it's, I think Jay Warner Wallace actually mentioned something about he did it a couple years ago when he yeah. covered for you on... That's right. So, you know, I'm just kind of in the... In, in between and not sure where to go. Yeah, you know, when you were overseas, you you probably had, <clears throat> in a certain sense, a, a different, I'm not sure, I don't want to say quality, but maybe a different caliber of Christian, because you sure. have people that are overseas and facing a foreign environment there, and maybe some of the people in your community there were nationals as well, I don't know. But sometimes that creates a, a, a kind of intensity that draws the group together in a rich way. And so you have this rich experience, though, with a small group. Um, and that's harder to produce here. Um, sure. And um, 
I I am not a pastor. I never have been. Um, I I don't. I I think of myself as, as a more of a sprinter, not a long distance runner. So I get to go and sprint in these churches, and then go to sprint to another church, you know, and do what I do. Uh, where the pastor has to be in for the long haul, nurturing and shepherding the same people on a regular basis. And mm-hmm. so I. Um, it's not my temperament, my gift to do that. Now, my brother Mark, who has just retired uh, this year, uh, was a pastor for 35 years, and he had a shepherd's heart, and he was well-suited for those demands, and his church was not a very large church. I, I don't mm-hmm. know that it ever exceeded a couple hundred people. And um, so it was a very small operation, very intimate, of course, because it was small, but um it's still, it was like always, you know, financially it's hard, you know, to have much of a staff and to do many creative things although it, with, with a smaller group and a smaller budget. But they also, they did do some pretty cool things. So I, I think, first of all, you, you've got to have a certain gifting slash temperament for that kind of thing. Um, if, if you're really thinking about starting a home church, and I, I don't know if what you mean by that is you're thinking about you being the pastor of that home church, the chief shepherd, or maybe having a plurality of leadership, which is, I think, more common to the New Testament model, um, or you would be helping somebody else start the church, and they would be responsible for the leadership, and you'd just be part of it. So what what was it in particular you had in mind? Yeah, it was the plurality of leadership, and that was what the church that we were a part of was, was about, um, and then about a month, maybe a month and a half ago, they had a membership meeting and, and kind of pointed out that the plurality of leadership was going away. And, you know, that was kind of what made us fall in love with the church because we thought it was New Testament, New Testament models. So um, that's what I was kind of looking for. I do I do have a shepherd's heart. I mean, I, I do, you know, obviously I listen to all you guys' podcasts. I'm, I'm constantly studying and, and mm-hmm. seeking more understanding of the truth and understanding of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it just it just we've been home for a little over two years. We had to come home because of COVID. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Just you know, had to get out of the country because yeah. it was getting locked down. And remind me again um, the country you you were in. We were in Bethlehem, Palestine. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they were they really cracked down over there. Yeah, it was it was super bad. Luckily, I had like security people that I knew that were able to actually give me some paperwork to get me out of the country. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. We had I had a friend of mine that was stuck there for months because he couldn't get his passport back because oh. the government was shut down. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. but yeah, Alan came and spoke in my school twice uh-huh. um, and did a full day of apologetics to yeah, our students. Great. So, he's great. So, um, so I try to get I try to get um, you guys to come over, but you know, yeah. Well, Alan, Alan came and sat in my office, and I was geeking out about this apologetics book that I read, mm-hmm. and I told him all about it. And I told him the title, and he's like, "Oh yeah, tactics. That's my boss." So uh. it was it was quite funny, but um, <laughs> yeah. It's just, well, we, I'll, I'll tell you though, I've with been regard for two years, and it's the intimacy. I want to I want to try to recreate that intimacy we have. I'm not musically talented, so mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't lead worship, but I, yeah. I just want to be able to, you know, talk. And I even looked at into the outpost, looking at maybe that was a solution, but it mm-hmm. doesn't seem that that's no. Well, that's quite it's a different it, no. Yeah. It's a different kind yeah. of thing, and, and the difficulty here, you calling me, is I don't have any sensibilities about this. You know, it's sure. not my my lane, as Jay Warner would say. You know, it's not not, not my ken. It's sure. just a, uh, um, and so 
I mean, you could, you can, I mean, Jim did it for a while, but not too long, a couple of years. And I don't even know how big his operation was. He's a very good communicator and everything, but um, yeah, it's just, and he taught youth groups for many years uh, at Rick Warren's church. And uh, any, anyway, I, I think starting churches is not easy to do. Um, although one would think, hey, uh, look, that's the way the whole enterprise started with groups of Christians in different locales getting together. And uh, so right. the difficulty, it seems to me, is is getting those people who want to be committed to a fellowship of Christians that's a small fellowship. Now, maybe you can, you know, tap out people who have done this before or involved in that and say, how did this work? How do you find people of kindred spirit, 15, 20 of them? You know, uh, if you only have five or ten, I mean, if you lose a couple people, you lost 10 percent of your flock kind of thing. That's kind of hard. So getting a kind of a critical mass, I don't I don't know how that would happen. Um, yeah, and, and I talked to my pastor about it, and he said just to go out and try to find four or five couples that you know love the Lord and just want to meet together, break bread together, and that's and that's all it was overseas. We would, you know, one of us we had three guys that were kind of the leadership, including myself. We would open the word, study the word for thirty minutes to you know whatever. Yeah. And then after that was done, we would pray for dinner. We would eat, and then we would fellowship for uh-huh. hours on end. So. Well, I, I would. Yeah, that sounds great to me. You know, uh, I just, I, I guess, I would suggest that you you just follow your pastor's advice and see what happens. I, I don't know mm-hmm. what, <laughs> how, how, I don't know what to tell you other than that. Just because, like okay. I said, I'm really out of my can. All right, Joshua. Maybe you can call me back in a few months or a year and and let me know how it went. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. Uh, all right, Great. I appreciate your call. Thanks, buddy. All right, well, let's go back to our um, our uh, what we call open mic calls, and um, let's uh, let's hear from Paul uh, Weinbrenner. We got Paul queued up. Hello, I enjoy your show very much, and it has helped me with my walk with Jesus. How, my question today is, how do you use moral reframing to persuade a person with non-biblical view to use your point on an issue? Greg at times shows how he uses another's core values are agreeable or in line with a biblical value. I've also read some articles about how conservatives or liberals use the other core values rather than one's own to make a point. Mm -hmm. Recently, I was reading a pro-life article and they said there are some persuasive, there's some good arguments, but not necessarily persuasive arguments because they do not hit at another's core values. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for considering this question. Um, Paul in Vancouver or the Dolfo apologist. Mm. Well, Paul, thanks for the question. Uh, I presume that's in Vancouver, Canada. There's also a city of Vancouver just across the river from Portland uh, in southern Washington. But um, nevertheless, um, <clears throat> this is a tricky issue, I think. Uh, I'm trying to think of the times when I've done this. I, I actually do this quite a bit. I try to trade on some other conviction or some conviction that the other person has to um, leverage it to support my own point, okay? And there's a reason that this works, or at least it's there's a reason why this is a, 
I don't mean works that it's always is effective, but there's a reason why this is a wise strategy. And that is because human beings actually turn out to be made in the image of God, and they have to live in the world that God has made. And so that means there are things that are built into them that, uh, that are true about the world, that they already know, even without reading the Bible. This is why we have an innate sense of justice. I, I was, I don't, who was I having a conversation with just recently? Someone who said, um, well, they, that, that uh, their Buddhist friend could never believe that there could be a God who would send somebody to hell forever. Okay, that's just unthinkable to them. But it struck me, oh, I know it was a conversation with my brother on the phone when I was driving in today. So it struck me, though, that this Buddhist probably had moments in his own life where he said, man, I can't believe those guys got away with what they did. I can't believe it, man. That's not right. Somebody pulled the switches on, somebody paid somebody off, and the bad guy got off scot-free. So what's going on in that comment? What's going on is an innate awareness that justice ought to be done, there ought to be payment for crimes, and it wasn't made. I mean, this is what karma is anyway. Karma is the notion that, you know, what goes around comes around. That when you do bad things in this life, you end up paying for it in the next in some fashion. So there is even a notion of justice that's built into that. Now, since these are native to human beings being made in the image of God, that's a value that it gets expressed in other circumstances. I can trade on that value, use questions to draw out the value itself, and then show how the Christian worldview really connects to that value that they hold. And I, I guess that's what uh, Paul had in mind with the term reframement. Um, but you have to know what that person's values are first, uh, and they need to confess them those values in some way be able before you can leverage them to your advantage. So um, what I just said a few moments ago is, well, those are values that everybody has being made in the in virtue of being made in the image of God, and uh, uh, yes, but they're not always immediately aware of it in the conversation that you're having, and that's why probing with questions, gathering information from them about their view is sometimes a really powerful way to have them place their values on the table. For example, that you could then take those and leverage that or reframe those values in terms of the point you're making about Christianity. Uh, I'm thinking, and this also came up uh, in my conversation with my, my brother today, that um, that for the atheist who complains about the so-called genocide that we find with the Canaanites in the Old Testament, if that same complainer, let's just say Richard Dawkins, had actually been present in those cultures to see the debauchery that these cultures participated in, especially the the ubiquity of child sacrifice. If, if Richard Dawkins had witnessed that, 
Richard Dawkins would say, how can there be a God that would allow this kind of thing to happen? Well, he didn't allow it to happen, or that is, he at least he, he, they, they had the, their comeuppance, and that was the judgment that God delivered against them for hundreds of years of sin, and they, they didn't repent from, and so then God lowered the boom. So there's another way of trying to leverage their views or their their values, reframing their values, um, to help us with uh, an issue. And by the way, I do this all the time. I, I just do it kind of automatically. When there's a complaint uh, regarding a, a point of Christianity that seems to be immoral or somehow ethically inappropriate, what I'm trying to do in my mind is try to think of a parallel circumstance that they actually bear favorable witness to and then be able to use it and leverage it in my behalf. So uh, if we're all made in the image of God, we bear some of these things naturally inside and we can leverage that in our behalf. That's uh, the inside out tactic, by the way. And there's my music, so that's the end of the show. Thanks for being part of it. Greg Kokel here for Stand to Reason. Give them heaven. Bye-bye now.